Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, uh, A Vision for You, Big Book Study. My name is Larry Kay. I'm from Chicago, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Thursday, April 16th, 2020, and today we are reading from the Big Book, and we are currently on page 151. We're starting Chapter 11. It's entitled A Vision for You. We're going to read the first paragraph, which starts for most normal folks. And we're going to read, um, Benita's going to read the one paragraph only. So today's readers, we have Wendy M. on the 12 steps, Sandy C. on the 12 traditions, and the readers of the text are Vanita L. and Martha Z. The share ID for yesterday, April 15th, uh, for the 7 a.m. meeting, 14,440. That's one four. 440. The 10 a.m. meeting, <clears throat> 14,445. That's 14445. <clears throat> the um, newcomer greeter for the second hour, we have Reva P. And uh, excuse me, the newcomer greeter is Reva P. And the host for the second hour is Jen A. The OA preamble, Overeaters Anonymous, is a fellowship of individuals. If everyone can mute their line, that would be terrific. Thanks so much. And Katie, if you wanna if you wanna mute everyone, that would be great. Thank you. Much appreciated. So let me give you the OA preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone. Uh, who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states that each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating, well, they can recover. Uh, first, they have to get abstinent and then the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. So let's get started with Wendy M. to read the 12 steps. Good morning, Wendy. Good morning. I'm Wendy M., a recovered compulsive overeater in Raleigh, North Carolina, and these are the 12 steps. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. 
11, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. And 12, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you for letting me do service. Thank you, Wendy. Okay, we have 12 traditions. I think there's still 12. Um, Sandy C., would you read those for us? Yes. 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, the loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise less problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need to always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. And twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you. Thank you, Sandy. Okay, here's how our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then we stop and share on what was read. And anyone except Harlan can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the, to the topic and literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Um, singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year, for readers it's six months, and there is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. And of course, we're sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. If you'd like to share, press star one to unmute. And once you're done sharing, let us know by saying pass and then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speaker should be muted. So today we are, we, um, are back in the big book. We're starting a new chapter, uh, chapter 11. We are on page 151. It's the chapter of vision for you. We're going to read the first paragraph only. It begins for most normal folks. And I will ask, the spectacular Vanita L. to begin reading. Good morning, Vanita. Good morning, everybody. This is the spectacular compulsive overeater <laughs> who has recovered, Vanita, 
For most normal folks, drinking means conviviality, companionship, and colorful imagination. It means release from care, boredom, and worry. It is joyous intimacy with friends and a feeling that life is good, but not so with us in those last days of heavy drinking. The old pleasures were gone. They were but memories. Never could we recapture the great moments of the past. There was an insistent yearning to enjoy life as we once did and a heartbreaking obsession that some new miracle of control would enable us to do it. There was always one more attempt and one more failure. So to me, this paragraph is so appropriate for compulsive overeating in my experience. And I was sitting here looking back and I can see that I was actually trying to control the food um, from very, very early on. I was isolating from really early on, though I didn't recognize it back then. And I wouldn't, you know, I've heard people say they locked themselves up in the house and shut the, close the blinds and lock the doors and all that and watch TV. But I never did that. I always, I always sort of, I didn't like being alone, but I like to have people around me, but I didn't feel safe being connected to them because of my history. So I remember like I would have people over for a party, but I would stay in the kitchen um, obsessed with cooking and cooking really good food. And that was my way of serving them. But I didn't actually um, interact with them. Um, very much, which I call social and emotional anorexia. So, um, yeah, I can see that that thread with food is going um, all throughout. I remember being in my 20s, quite young. I was still slender. And we there was a family picnic being planned. And I remember, this was one of the first clues that there was something strange with me and food. Because I said to my older sister, um, you know what, let's not make it a food thing. And she turned and she looked at me like so peculiar, right? So here we are planning a picnic and I'm saying, let's not make it a food thing. Like I'm already trying to um, control and limit and distance myself from food. So food never really was for me, I must say, conviviality, companionship, and colorful imagination, um, which I have experienced actually in the past with alcohol. But, um, you know, it's always been a source of, um, well, I thought eating um, sweets and cheesecake and things like that were pleasure. But um, I learned very early on that, you know, like, if I ate cheesecake, that the next day my hands hurt. So I was having a bad response to those foods early on. So, um, yeah, and I never found the miracle of control that you probably all could have guessed. All right, thanks so much. Uh, thank you for getting us started, Benita. Again, Benita, just to let you know, she read uh, from page 151 in the chapter Vision for You. We just read the first paragraph for most normal folks. And let me read this exactly as it was written. Now, although we value your experience as well as your love for Scrabble, 
we ask that you limit your sharing to every third day in order that others might share their experience as well. Uh, so um, with that, uh, who would like to share on what was read? Nancy T. Melissa. Sima Amanda B. Sam S. All right, I got uh, Sam. I got, um, let's see here. I got Nancy, Melissa, Sima, and Sam. I missed someone in there. Amanda. Amanda. Anybody else? Becca R. Chuck K. Becca and Chuck. Let's stop with that. Becca and Chuck. We'll Amanda even B. let Chuck share. Yeah, I, got, I think I got um, Amanda in there. So here, let me tell you who I heard. I heard um, Nancy. I always hear Melissa. Um, her voice just comes through to me. It just gets through. Sima, Sam, Amanda, Becca, and Chuck. So let's start with Nancy, followed by Melissa. Good morning, Nancy. Good morning, Larry. Thank you for your service. Uh, recovered compulsive reader here in Lewiston, Idaho. So much like the um, first reader, um, I didn't associate companionship, um, conveniality, and colorful imagination with eating. I thought I did early on. And I, when I say early on, I mean before I knew that I was a compulsive reader. I thought the experiences that I had with food were fun and social and but now as i look back at my eating before realizing that i had this disease um it wasn't it was a the feelings that i had around food was more described as a compulsion i had to have it um and i did learn early on as a child that there was shame associated with the way i dealt with food my grandfather who i adored he was my favorite relative in the whole world um, best grandpa ever and one time it was during a time of emotional turmoil in my childhood my mother was getting back together with a husband that she divorced who happened to be abusive and while they were looking for a house we were staying with my grandparents and my grandma made a big dinner of roast beef mashed potatoes gravy vegetables all that and while sitting at the dinner table I took the whole serving on my plate of roast beef and shoved it in my mouth at one time and this was when I was eight years old I don't know why I did that. I mean, I can now as an adult, I can see it was an emotional response probably to what was going on. But my grandfather said to me, somebody should slap her. And I literally, that is the first time that I felt shame around my eating. So I did have those early experiences like that. But I have been, after discovering that I was a compulsive reader and that this was a disease, unfortunately, I had many attempts at trying to experience the conveniality companionship and colorful imagination but as it says at the end of that paragraph it, every attempt was met with another failure um, but after realizing I still sometimes am in awe when I walk around the court floor at work and I see people with partially eaten donuts on their desk and it sits there all day or they have a jar of candy on their desk that sits there for weeks before it's emptied that is the kind of um, eating they're talking about here in the beginning of this paragraph that you know it's a social thing it's a little treat and I've never experienced that it's always been I got to have it and I got to have it all because it makes me feel better or it makes me escape or it, you know something so um, I'm so grateful today that I don't have that a compulsion every day I don't have that obsession of the mind that drives me to pick up 
um, and then leaves to that intolerable um, hellhole that food takes me to every single time. I'm grateful that I was finally willing to surrender to a power greater than myself and experience this spiritual experience that brought me freedom from that. Um, and I do it one day at a time with all of you there supporting me. So thank you so much. And with that, I'm going to pass. Thanks for getting us started there, Nancy. Okay, we got Melissa followed by uh, Sima. Melissa, school's open. It's closed. It's open. I don't know. Good morning. It's you know what? <laughs> Good morning, Larry. It means it's actually open twenty four hours a day. That's what right. that home learning means. <laughs> but that's good. That's a good thing. I, I need to be busy. So um good morning. My name is Melissa C. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater and I'm in New York and um yeah, so, uh, you know, like, alert, um, this book keeps telling me over and over, like, in case I forget that I'm not normal, right, because it says, like, for most normal folks, um, and that tells me, yeah, and that's not you, right, most normal folks, just not you, and, um, you know, com- like, not, it's not just um, compulsive overeaters that eat for reasons outside of nutrition, like, normal people don't just eat for nutritional reasons. And, um, you know, so that's not what makes me a separate and distinct entity, that I just use food for reasons that don't have anything to do with nutrition. You know, what makes me a compulsive overeater is that um, I can't do that, right? I can't do that and control it and live in peace. And, uh, you know, part of my step one realization is that I can no longer treat food like normal people do. It can't be an event. And for me, I can't engage in recreational eating. You know, normal people hang around the dinner table. They can enjoy casual eating. And, um, you know, like way before all this social distancing, there were things that were called cocktail parties and buffets and happy hours. And normal people can um, hang out at those places and eat a few bites. And they can still, they still hear the conversation around them. And they eat to enhance the gathering. You know, that's what I came to notice with normal people. And what I came to see was that, um, for me, if I engage in casual eating, that background, like music of the food, that normal people, they sort of hear the background music of the food and it enhances the people around them. But for me, um, that background music of the food is the only thing I hear. And I can't possibly attend to any conversations around me. And all I hear is the chatter in my brain about the food, about the food, about the food, about the food. It's not social for me. And it was a sad realization that eating socially, like movie time eating, spontaneous dinners out, um, late night, like, stuff um, is something I can't do, like, and and it wasn't because some sponsor told me that I couldn't, you know, but because I had conceded to my innermost self that there was nothing social about my eating. Once I engage in those things, you know, and the disease, here's the mental twist, is that it tries to convince me by appealing to my sense of nostalgia. Like it tries to tell me that my human desire to connect to my culture, my family, my friends is going to come in through the food. But my recovery informed me, and I'm just wrapping up, was that um, I have a much better chance at feeling connections, feeling, you know, love of my family, friends, and my culture without the food. And the purpose of this chapter is to, like, help me figure out 
how I do that now. You know, that's my new vision. And um, thanks. With that, I'll pass. Thanks, Melissa. Okay, we have Sima followed by Sam. Good morning, Sima. Good morning, Larry. Thank you for your service. This is Sima M. from New Jersey, grateful compulsive overeater living in recovery. It's good to hear the 7 o'clock people. I've only been going on the 10 o'clock meeting for quite a while. Uh, this paragraph, I can't relate to any of it because it was never conviviality or um, any of that stuff. It was never enjoy. I, I never really ate for enjoyment. I ate to fit in and um, until I didn't fit into anything. Uh, if I could have gotten away with it, I would have, uh, you know, just eaten socially. But um, it was really to, sorry about my clock, it was really um, to feel normal, to feel like uh, I had a reason to be around people. Eating was something I could do. I didn't have to uh, study it. I didn't have to practice it uh, like a sport. I didn't have to belong to anything. It was just acceptable. And sometimes it was punishment. If I overate and I wasn't hungry and I came home, I had to eat dinner so my mother wouldn't be disappointed. I, I ate because it was the acceptable thing to do. Um, I never drank because it just wasn't part of my uh, cultural experience. But I am grateful that eating made me gain weight and, the, and that kept me further away from socializing. And I'm grateful because I say I'm a grateful compulsive overeater because that brought me to OA and uh, the 12 steps and a way of life where I fit in without having to fit in and uh, people, learning how to speak to people and accept myself and just have a life where I didn't have a life before. Food was just something that I used to uh, numb the pain and I'm grateful to be here. and. Uh, Thank you for your service. Oh, it's great to hear you, Sima. Thanks so much. Okay, next up we have Sam followed by Amanda. Hey, Sam, good morning. Good morning, Larry. Good morning, everybody. (laughs) So Sam recovered compulsive over here in in Bristol, Rhode Island. Um, Wow, what a, a... I did not get the memo. I heard the memo, but I did not get it that we were on 11. But, um... I got to tell you, the first thing that I thought of when we were reading that is I remember very early on in program crying on the phone with my sponsor because I saw a Hallmark commercial about, you know, baking cookies with your children and telling my sponsor, like, oh, I can never do it. She's like, wait, I didn't know you had kids. (laughs) I don't. (laughs) Oh. (laughs) So it's so funny because I really, um, I was heartbroken and devastated when I first came into program because I really thought, like, you know, this is the end of life as I know it. But when we're reading this um, this little tiny sentence in here that talks about the memories, like capturing the great moments in the past um, and all of the old pleasures being memories, you know, my memories, like the great memories around food was like leading up to the food, the chase to the food, the game to the food, the mystery to the food, the manipulating my way to the food, the like earning my way to the food. And then I remember like every single time that I try to go back into the past and I try to figure out what happened 
as soon as I got in the food, it was like a total trance, got my blinders on, tunnel vision, and all I remember is me and the specific food. I don't remember, I mean, I remember the people that were there. I remember the characters, but I don't remember the conversation. I don't remember what we did afterwards. I just remembered now I'm here with my food and I'm going to sit down and, and everything turned off. And, um, and then after I ate the food, it was like, how could I have, why did I just, I should have, I, I might as well then just, or like total effort. And that was what it was like. And in hindsight of recovery, I can see that like, that's an indicator there that like, I wasn't like a, you know, a normal eater or a hard eater. Like I'm a, I'm a compulsive overeater. Um, but I need to kind of remember that because it can be so easily easy for me to go back into the hallmark commercials of that happiness. But I need to play it through. What happened? 100% of that evidence. It never ended up with like singing rainbows and, you know, hugging children. It always ended up with me, you know, holding onto my knees and crying and saying, why did I do this again? So really happy um, to know that I am among company and people that may be nodding their heads. And um, with that, I pass. Thank you so much. Thanks, Sam. I'm nodding mine. All right. Next, we have um, Amanda followed by Becca. Hey, Amanda. Good morning. Oh, Amanda, we can't hear you. Hey, Amanda. Good morning. I'm going to my office here with walking myself in the washroom while my kids are outside. <laughs> um, it says for most normal eaters, or sorry, drinkers. So the first question is, am I normal? And I looked up normal. It means standard, typical, expected, usual. Um, and that's the first thing I have to decide in step one. Am I normal or am I powerless? Um, that hit me. Um, eating or drinking means companionship and intimacy. Like all of these things are what I'm looking for. And in later in the paragraph, it says, I'm looking for a miracle of control. And that's what my whole disease is about. I'm looking for a miracle of control. I can remember even as a child, my parents would leave the house. You know, I'm not in control when I'm a little kid. My parents would leave the house. As soon as they left the house, the door would close to the front door and the cupboard would open. And I just remember that hit of... It meant safety, comfort, calm. And it says in the paragraph, it meant life was good. And for me, that is what eating or restricting was. It's like if I could just get that, I'm looking for a miracle of control. And it's there and I get it, just like everybody else, these normal, typical, expected, usual people. But for me, it's just there for one moment. For normal people, I think that it lasts. They get that intimacy and control. They love eating together. But for me, it ends in what the paragraph says is, I have a yearning to enjoy it so badly, so badly, and a heartbreaking obsession that tells me each time that I go back that I will enjoy it. Um, I just, this this so resonated around control, people, places, things. Um, And I remember when I first met my now husband, he said, you know, could I take you for a, a meal. I said, oh, no, no. Then he said, can I take you for a drink? And I said, no. And he said, can you give me your receipts for your lunch and I'll just pay for it? <laughs> uh, he couldn't figure it out because for him it meant intimacy, 
and time together and um and it just we couldn't uh, he couldn't figure it out because he was a normal usual typical standard person he couldn't understand that i would be using it for a miracle of control um and even by restricting it using it for a miracle of control so um, I get my miracle through God, and it's actually the opposite, which is not to control and know that I'll be safe and okay. I kind of had it backwards where I thought that eating would give me the safe and calm and the control would make it okay. So there's a lot of backwards in this program. Um, with that, I'll pass. Thank you so much. Thanks, Amanda. Okay, we have Becca followed by Chuck. Good morning, Becca. Hey, good morning, Larry. It's Becca R., Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Kentucky. And I actually, I could I could totally relate to the, um, the conviviality, the companionship, the colorful imagination. Um, but just on the opposite of that would come the loneliness, the darkness, the isolation. And then it was just a crapshoot on what, my disease was going to give me that day. So much of it was contingent on what I might have seen in the reflection of the mirror that moment or um, how long I had been able to stay on a diet this time, you know, and it was so manic, you know, when I was feeling good, I was feeling amazing, you know, that conviviality. Um, But when I was feeling bad, I was just, I mean, it was so low and here's the way my disease would work is I would have one of these instances of feeling amazing and I would make plans and call friends and organize these big gatherings. And then it was always in the midst of that when I would be the opposite and I would be solo and I would think, what the hell was I thinking? Why did I want to do this again? Who, You know, because perhaps I got on the scale that morning and it didn't give me that bump in confidence, but rather that um, reiteration that I was not okay. And so just the emotional roller coaster. And I think about my loved ones, specifically my husband. I mean, he never knew what he was going to get. You know, if the scale was good that day, you know, he'd come home to a, a super happy wife who was, you know, eager to speak and and if I had been in the food that day, he came home to a withdrawn, isolated, numb, quiet, um, and and it was just walking on eggshells. And it was like that with everyone, but specifically the ones I was closest to. I was just a loose cannon. And I'm so grateful to be able to show up today and to show up consistently with God's help, of course. But, you know, that's my prayer these days is like God how do you want me to show up today? Let me be where I need to be with the people I need to be with. Let me, let me have words of wisdom, you know, and just really letting God work through me instead of feeling like I have to be the great and mighty Becca who is going to, you know, solve everyone's problems. But just, you know, with the presence of God, sometimes it's just being able to sit and listen and just be present. You know, and I don't have to think of the words to say. I just need to be there. I just need to show up. And when I'm in the food and when I'm in my disease, that I can't do that. I'm, I'm unable to show up because I'm so 
surrounded by self and all I can think of is self. So I'm grateful to be here with you guys today. Thanks. I pass. Thanks, Becca, Georgia. Hey, Chuck, good morning. Good morning, Larry. It's Chuck K. from Georgia. And what I was thinking about this morning is just how evil this this sickness, this disease is, because one of the greatest things I, I received from program was the awareness that something was wrong with me or something was different with me. And it was revealed in my food history, you know, that this was there all along. I have the same recollections of my past and how I dealt with food as many people have spoken about, but I had no idea other than then something was different. And it was compounded by the fact that I was very athletic up until I was about 25. So looking at me, you'd never suspect that I was anything other than in peak condition. And then when I stopped, you know, exercising, then I slowly started to pack the weight, weight on. But it's important for me not to, to mix up the characteristics of this disease with the progressiveness of this disease. And that's one of the things that makes this disease such a horrible thing. It'll have me eat so much food for so long that I'm looking at a number that begins with 400 on a scale. It, it will have me so heavy that I'll look in the mirror and think everybody does this. I, I'm no different than other people, but yet if I drop my pencil on the ground, I don't want to pick it up because I can't get, get, couldn't get down to get it up. And I'm looking at Velcro shoes so that I don't have to tie my shoes all day long. But yet I'm so dishonest, I can't see any of this. And that doesn't even get into the mental anguish that I'm putting my family through and all of those things that I did that I'm making living amends for the rest of my life about. So, that just puts me in mind of how bad this disease is. I really saw that in the last couple of weeks, just how evil this is. My ego will tell me, these people are crazy. They don't know what they're talking about. You're not sick. You don't have a disease. That's my ego talking. And by doing the, the food history, by doing the work, by working my steps, I understand a little bit more of the truth about myself, that I do have a sickness that I do treat food differently than others do. And if that sets me off as abnormal or different from everyone else, there's nothing wrong with that. It just means that I have something that I need to look for a spiritual power to help me with. And then when I look at the benefits of working this program and all the good that has come into my life and the people around me versus the struggle and the heartache of deal, trying to deal with this evil, evil thing on my own, totally unable without the tools to do it, well, this, this life that I'm living now is so much better than what I was living before in so many different ways. So this morning, I guess I'm thinking about the, the powerlessness, my step one uh, admission that I, am, that I don't have control over this and I never will. Just a gentle reminder. And I think by going through my past, I was able to have a better understanding of that. So thank you for letting me share. Oh, thank you, Chuck. 
Okay, let me tell you where we're at. We're on page 151, the first paragraph. Um, although we value your experience, if you haven't played Scrabble in the past three days, we'd love to hear from you. Who would like to share? Rick, Rick, what page? What page is it? Mark Dale. What page? I got Kristen Anita Lee. and Mark. I got Anita and Mark and Kristen. Lorraine N. Lorraine. Ilana. Rick. Elon and Rick. Rick J. Joni. I got you, Rick. And Joni. Okay, let's let's start with that. What we got Anita Mark. On? Yeah, I'm I'm gonna tell you in just a moment. I'm gonna tell you the exact page. I'm gonna give you the whole the whole shebang. But let me tell you who we first heard from. We we heard from Anita, Mark, Christian, uh Kristen, Lorraine, Alana, Rick, and Joni. So we'll go with that. And so with regard to what page we're on. We're on page 151, which is chapter 11. We're reading the first paragraph for most normal folks, just the one paragraph only. And we're going to start with Anita, followed by Mark. Anita, good morning. All right. Am I up? There you are. Yeah, you're up, Anita. Good morning. I was undoing whatever we do. It's Anita J. Recovered in Massachusetts. And I'm remembering back to my childhood, which was in Evanston, Illinois. Doesn't matter where you grew up, does it? Um, but I have to remember about what we hear on this line, too. It was the solution. It kept me from feeling all the terrible feelings growing up in this uh, home I grew up in. But the reason it worked was because I have that allergy of the body and the obsession of the mind and I when I was looking back now I think thank God I had it but I realized I never had any control and I was a some level I knew it because when I was around 10 years old there was one family we loved to I loved to go to and it was only my father and me at that point going there but out of my mouth comes I love to come here because you people don't have any manners. What's the highest form of flattery? But now I see, you know what that meant? I was always not eating the way I really wanted to because I knew it wasn't normal. I knew something was wrong with me. And there was another family who always had a candy dish on the table for company. That's all I could I don't know what pictures they had on the wall. I don't know anything. And I remember trying to time how often, how often it would be normal to stick your hand out and take something. It, it, it just like ruined it. And you know, when I moved now into this independent living, a friend of mine said, if you want the staff to be um, nice to you, you should have a dish of candy out. And whenever they come, because you can't tip them, just give, tell them to help themselves. I, are you kidding? I'd say help yourself. They'd look in. There'd be nothing in it. I mean, I know who I am. I don't care, recovered or not recovered. And, you know, I had that binge episode, so I know it's only a day at a time. I, I've not changed. It's there. And I found a new way of living. Oh, that change! It's just unbelievable. 
know, and that some of those foods now look like uh, cardboard. Cardboard. I mean, it's a miracle. No, nothing on this earth could do that, you know, at least not for Anita. She had to find something greater than herself. And um, I just like to listen. I could not start my day without this meeting. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Anita. Okay, next up we have Mark, followed by Kristen. Hey, Mark, good morning. Hi, my name is Mark L. Uh, from Harvard, Connecticut. Thanks, thanks, thanks for letting me chair. Um, man, this paragraph right here uh, caught caught my attention. Would say, but not, but not so with us in those in those days of heavy, let's say heavy drinking. I mean, heavy, heavy bending. The old present were gone. They were, they, they were but memories. Wow. Yeah. They, they is memories. <laughs> the only time I'm going, going to think back on that when I'm telling my story, I, I don't have to look back and do them things no more. I, I, I could live my life one day at a time. To this fellowship of Holy Anonymous, this fellowship helped me so so much, and it made me happy, happy, joyous, and free. <laughs> I freed from compulsive overeating. I freed from uh, binging. I freed from all the other things will make make my life hurt. I don't have to hurt no more. I go join my life one day at a time. I love you today. Thanks. Oh, thanks, Mark. Appreciate it. Okay. Uh, now seating the par- Kristen party, party of one Kristen. Good morning. Kristen party, if you would unmute, please. Star one. Hi, this is Kristen. There you, can you are. Hear me now? Yeah, yeah, this is Kristen H. Recovered in uh, Houston, Texas. You know, I... Um, I actually really relate to the notion of, you know, happiness and conviviality with, with food. Um, you know, growing up, we had, my mom would have huge dinner parties and they were always fun and I would host dinner parties and they were always fun. When I traveled, I would plan my travel around restaurants that I would want to go to. And I've been to some of the like best restaurants in the world. The problem, and I always, even when I was deep in my binging, I always looked forward to my binge, there, but there were two problems. After I binged, I felt terrible and vowed that I would never do it again. And then I couldn't not do it again. And so that was where the misery came in. But I, um, you know, I have a lot of, I had a lot of fun with, with food and eating until I didn't. And as the disease progressed, I got more and more isolated and more and more obsessed. And the only thing I was looking forward to was my binge at the end of the day. And I binged every day on huge amounts of sugar. And I felt terrible. And I wanted to stop. And I got heavier and heavier. And I couldn't stop. And I was so obsessed. It was taking over my life. So I was living really in this like dual world where the only pleasure I could feel was from food. And the only thing that made me look forward to the day was 
food. But then in the end, it caused me huge amounts of harm and shame and guilt and loneliness and anguish. And I couldn't find my way out of that. And when the anguish and the humiliation and the shame became too much, that's when I sought out Overeaters Anonymous because I realized that I didn't have to live like that. I realized when I heard in an AA meeting someone describing their relationship with alcohol that I didn't feel that way about alcohol, but I definitely felt that way with food, that I just couldn't stop. And I was searching for that high every day. And it took more and more food. And even though I looked forward to it and and obsessed about it and planned it, where I was going to eat, what desserts I was going to have, which stores I would go to so the clerks wouldn't see me more than one day in a row, you know, lying about getting a dessert for tomorrow when I really ate it in the car on the way home. I mean, I was definitely sick, but I still felt like food was fun until it wasn't anymore, until I couldn't stop, until every night I was so stuffed and so in so much pain and then waking up the next morning with a hangover from the food. And so that, I think, for me, this is a good paragraph because I have to remember that those memories, those positive memories of going to fancy places or traveling and finding places to eat, that those were part of the lie that my disease was telling me. That was part of the lie that in order to have fun, in order to enjoy a culture, you know, in order to be able to enjoy France, I had to eat all the French food. And I have to remember that that was a lie and that all of that happiness and all of that pleasure was was a lie. And that's part of what... Reminder. Thank you. And so that's part of what is in my solution, and I have to reach up to my higher power for that. So thank you. Thank you, Kristen. Okay, next up is Lorraine, followed by Alana. Lorraine, good morning. Did you call Lorraine? I did. Good morning, Lorraine. Okay. Thank you. I was unmuting. Good morning. Um, yeah, this paragraph, too, um, for me, I totally related to the last uh, uh, share. Um, I do remember in the old days <laughs> uh, uh, having, you know, conviviality and companionship and all of that, going out to eat and drink with friends, and um, it all looked okay. But um, the truth is, um, I was never comfortable then, and I, you know, I would, I would um, probably have a glass of wine or two before I even left the house, so that I could be okay at whatever event I was going to. And, you know, then I was obsessed with whatever food was there. You know, I always hung out around the food. And um, it wasn't about being convivial or or socializing even. And, um, you know, everything I did, even my um, drug use, my I was on diet pills off and on for years. And then I got a hold of Vicodin, which killed my appetite. All of it was an attempt to stay thin, look good, fit in, and um, it was just decades of that. And and I was a night binger. I could kind of go all day long and look kind of normal. And at night, there was like a switch went off, and I was face down in the food every night. Um, the sentence I have underlined here is um, the heartbreaking obsession that some new miracle of control would enable me to enjoy life. Uh, There was always one more attempt and one more failure, countless vain attempts. 
And, uh, you know, I just have this vision of my last binge a few months ago, which I was in the dark in my bedroom, food dribbled all on my night, night clothes, all the bed stained with chocolate, just hideous. And I have been in that position hundreds of times in my life. And it wasn't until I really decided to work this process, and I mean work the steps as they are written in the big book with a sponsor, that I um, have started to uncover all this stuff that I really didn't understand about myself and that I'm not normal like other people when it comes to (laughs) my addictions. And um, I just am so grateful for this program because I couldn't have, I I feel like God brought me to the program and then the program really brought me to God. And, um, And I now have a relationship with my higher power. If someone, you know, wants to go to lunch or something after a meeting, I don't get all worked up because I know I'm pretty much I'm going to have chicken and a salad, which I can get almost anywhere. So it's not about the food for me anymore. It's about it really is about the people and being interested in the conversation and and that all just happened over time by coming here and listening to you people, especially Vision for You. I have to say, this is where I really found recovery. And um, so thank you for letting me share, and I'll pass. Oh, you bet. Thank you, Lorraine. Um, we Let's see how far we get here. We have Alana followed by Rick. Alana, good morning. Hi, good morning, Larry. Thank you so much for your service. I uh, think you epitomize we are not a glum lot, and I appreciate it really. I need it. (laughs) Um, I love this paragraph. It really kind of brought me back. You know, it says most normal folk. I also was never normal when it came to the food. Really, from my very early age, like I would say most of my childhood memories involve food. Um, We just missed the, the Passover holiday here in Israel where I live. And, you know, I have a memory, childhood memory of going to my aunt's house for the holiday but I don't remember much other than the few dishes she made that I really liked and the candy there. And, you know, when we went out to movies, it was like, which treat were we going to get at the movie? And then we would go out, you know, to the ice cream parlor afterwards. And, and there was always, you know, food meant family, food meant companionship. Um, It was just, you know, food and people went together, but I also used food by myself. You know, I I would do abnormal things with it. Like, suck things that should be chewed so it would last longer or break something up into smaller pieces so it seemed like I had more and you know talk about colorful imagination like when I was eating I was making up stories about it I I always had this strange relationship although I wasn't necessarily a compulsive overeater yet but um you know it it was always part of of life and and I really started using food around the age of 11, when, you know, life got hard, parents split up, moved to a new town, new school, you know, sister went off and did her own thing. And and I was like, kind of by myself. And, and that's when I started using food, trying to get out of it, that companionship and, and, you know, free myself from my cares and not feel lonely and not feel, not feel really. And, you know, of course, throughout my life, like, you know, that's what I did with, with food, um, just trying to get back what I had felt as a child, you know, like family dinners were gone because my mom was at work full time and my father was no longer around. And when he did visit us, you know, what did we do? We went out to eat. Like that was 
that was love for me. And I desperately tried for years to refine love through food and it didn't work. And you know, my sponsor always says she she came to, you know, to be able to surrender the food when when the pain of eating became greater than the pain of not eating. And I would say for me, my surrender came when it stopped working. And that's what it says here. Never could we recapture the great moments of the past. You know, never there was an insistent yearning to enjoy love life as we once did in a heartbreak and obsession that some numerical control would enable us to do it and and for me like I was desperately trying to get what from food what it did give me for you know a little while at some point in my life when I was young and but it had stopped working a long long time ago and like this really really like that's what it was this desperate attempt to get from thank you to get from food what it couldn't give me and when that stopped working that's when I was like, okay, I surrender. It's not working anymore. I need something that does work. And I'm so grateful for this program and the steps that's giving me a relationship with a higher power, which does work. Thanks for letting me share. Oh, thanks, Alana. Hey, Joni, I'm not sure that we'll have time, but Rick, you're next up. Uh, so uh, if you would be kind enough to chime in, that'd be great. Hello, Larry. Uh, this is Rick. I am a compulsive overeater in Cary, North Carolina. I recovered but never cured. Um, I love this paragraph, and I was thinking um, about my my history uh, with food, uh, particularly my uh, my history with, with uh, eating compulsively. And um, you know, and the first the first time I can remember getting a, an effect from from eating food, I was five years old, uh, and I was in a world of fear, uh, just terror, basically, uh, you know, surrounding my mother's, uh, mental illness. And I found a jar of mayonnaise of all things. Uh, and I, uh, I was just eating this jar of mayonnaise with a spoon and it was, it was taking the fear away. You know, I don't know why I don't understand it, but at five years old with this spoon and a jar of mayonnaise sitting in the kitchen floor, I just found this sense of ease and comfort and, um, you know, and, and that is, is an effect, you know, that I, I started chasing, um, you know, and I, I was, um, I was very lonely a lot in the, in my early life. And I would, I would turn to to reading books and I would always have like cookies and little snacks to, to kind of go along with it. And again, you know, I was, I was associating food with this sense of ease and comfort. And then there was a little bit of a shift, you know, um, I remember I was eating with a friend of mine, um, over his, his family who, uh, were grilling burgers and, you know, we'd been playing hard that day and, and, um, I was really hungry and I, uh, I was eating cheeseburgers, like, um, probably had three, maybe four of them. And, and I was a little kid, you know, um, and I just remember, looking up and, and my friend and his family were just looking at me like in this amazing amazement. And they started laughing and just like, wow, we've never seen a kid eat so much. How do you, how can you eat that much? You know? And, um, and it just started shifting to where, you know, not only was I finding ease and comfort in food, but I was also like the little kid who could eat an amazing amount of food. And, uh, when, uh, when my mother's mental illness was somewhat uh, stabilized and we started uh, 
reentering the world of her family. She's one of 13 kids, and there were these big family reunions. And there was a lot of the, uh, you know, the conviviality, the companionship, the colorful imagination it's talking about there, um, surrounding, you know, just a lot of joy, a lot of cousins, and, you know, but somehow my eating had shifted to where, you know, I wasn't just eating and joining in with, with the fun. I, it was all about the eating, you know, and it just kept being more about the eating. And I, like people have shared, I started chasing that effect, you know, and, um, I just looking at the progression and so grateful that I'm recovered today. And uh, with that, I'll pass. Uh, thanks Rick for closing us out. Hey, Joni, if you're able to stick around the second hour, I have a sneaking suspicion. Jen a will, We'll get you first up there, Joni. Thanks so much. And thank you to everyone who has shared. Uh, please join us for a second unrecorded hour of study immediately following closing. Let me give you the share ID for today's meeting. That number is 14,452. That's 14452. So uh, we will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. And, um, Martha Z, would you be kind enough to read that for us? Thank you, Larry. This is Martha Z. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater by the grace of God from outside of Philadelphia. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order but obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events <clears throat> will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you. Until then.